Welcome to the Mind Your OT Business podcast, where we empower and equip occupational therapy practitioners and others to be savvy and successful entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Laura Park Figueroa. Are you ready to take action? Let's jump in. All right. Welcome to Mind Your OT Business. This is episode 71, I believe, maybe 72. I don't keep these things in my head, everyone. (laughs) I am so excited today to welcome Brandon Siegel back to the podcast. I think you're the only guest I've had on twice. You're you're, You're only the second guest that I've had on twice, I think. So I'm so excited that you're here because we are going to talk about how people can get paid for offering services. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. I feel so honored. First of all, 70 episodes, and that's an incredible accomplishment. I know how hard it is and how much time I put into just recording podcasts. And yep. I commend you because 70 is a lot. And I am honored to be on here twice. Um, <laughs> it's it's well, really exciting. So yeah. Let's so tell people- yeah, yeah, what you do. Let's introduce them to you. You own Wellness Works Management Partners, and you have multiple streams of income, including a practice, a consulting business, a digital marketing business, and a medical billing business. So tell people about Wellness Works and what you do, and then we'll dive into all of the nitty gritty about different ways people can fund and get money into their business. Absolutely. So First and foremost, for those who don't remember, my wife, my mother-in-law, my brother-in-law are all occupational therapists. And for the last 15, 16 years, I've been helping my mother-in-law and helping private practices like my mother-in-law. Originally, it started with consulting. And then I was like, it kind of expanded to management services. And then I was like, you know what? We need to really dial in how we create affordable marketing. And I launched a digital marketing agency called Fly High Business Builders. And then I launched a medical billing company about probably two years ago. And the reason was just so that everyone knows, why did you do this? Well, first of all, my wife for seven years has said, Brandon, you need to open a medical billing company. Because 16 years ago, I got certified as a medical coder and and biller Um, mainly because I did not trust who my mother-in-law was outsourcing her billing to. Mm -hmm. And I found that they always chase the lowest hanging fruit. And I got angry. You know, at the time I lived in California and I was angry at insurance. I was angry at people that they didn't take responsibility for their own financial services. And I literally felt like I was getting kicked in the head every day, whether it be by insurance or by families, patients that said, well, why didn't my insurance? And you did, I couldn't win. It was literally left and right. So I said, I got to solve this problem because not just am I having this challenge, but we're hurting the country. We've got a funding source that's not reliable. We've got patients that don't value our providers and I need to create a solution. And so it took a while because I was so, my wife would say, um, strong-headed (laughs) And I ultimately had so many clients that I'm being honest, were getting taken advantage of by billing companies. They literally were paying all this money and there was like 20, 30% write-offs and it was just really bad. So I said, I want to start with delivering a concierge medical billing service where we're an extension of the team. I wanted to bill out of our clients' EMRs with them. I wanted to yeah. educate them. And I ultimately wanted to help them eventually bring billing in-house if it made sense, because 
I think that doing a service is one thing, but empowering and educating all around you on what you're doing and why is just as important. So yeah, that's my quick gist. But today's topic about really how to get paid, yeah, how to optimize your business model for different payer structures and, and what it looks like, I think is really exciting. So I'm just happy to be here, Laura. Yeah. Tell people the name of your billing company, because I get this question a lot and I never really know where to refer people. So just put it out there for anyone who's listening, who may be interested so they can follow up and find you. So wellness works, medical billing is technically the the billing we'll say brand it's going to, that will fall under wellness works management partners, but we are, um, we do have a website that will specifically go over our medical billing services. And we're working with occupational therapy, physical therapy, speech therapy, physicians. I'm not doing any ABA billing. I want to be transparent. That's not an area that right now I want to cover. But um, really, our, our vision for our medical billing is supporting private practices at a scale level. And so we're not just submitting claims, but we're coaching you, going through the metrics, going through the KPIs, mm. helping you advocate for contract negotiation helping you understand how to streamline your collection process and your payment policies with families. So my number one thing, if you've read my book, The Private Practice Survival Guide, I say, I need to get you paid 60% in 30 days from your data service. That's the the number one variable. And 99% within 90 days. And and I say 99% because there's always an outlier. It's like, hey, well, they changed your insurance. So this happened. But we really need to be proactive. And so our, I want you to think of it this way of like, before we bill your insurance, the, the patient's insurance, we need to make sure your systems, your policies and procedures are yes. set up. And so that's a lot of it. It starts with understanding what best practices are related to our patients and helping them yeah. understand the benefit quote form and what their, what their stop loss is and what copay coinsurance and what charges are versus allowable and deductible yeah. resets and when they happen, et cetera. And so I know I'm going down this whole line of kind of path of medical billing, but I know when we look at funding, if there's anything that I want you to think about today is that don't get stuck with a single-minded viewpoint. Anything is possible in today's market. And it's funny mm. because What's really timely, I talked to my mother yesterday and my mother said, I saw my doctor and he had this great idea for your business. And I love when my mom brings me her doctor's opinions (laughs) and and mindset. Love it. He thinks that you should help people get into concierge medicine and get out of the insurance game. And I'm going to tell you something that's going to shock you today. I told my mom, I said, mom, it's so funny you say that because that was my mindset for like two years ago. Previous was like, get rid of insurance, but 2022, my mindset is people need to learn how to work with insurance because we have all these people that have healthcare insurance that are feeling like it's not paying for anything. So how are we creating advocacy? How are we allowing them to unlock their benefits, understanding in-network, out-of-network, understanding how to get you paid faster? And so I think insurance is here to stay. And I think that we need to find our ways that we segment out what is the role of insurance? What is the role of private pay? What is the role of education pay? What is the role of early intervention pay? And so we're going to talk today about payment models. Right. But I think it's right. really critical that you understand that it's not one or the other. It's not this or that. Whenever we set that ultimatum up, we're limiting ourselves. So what I want 
you to think about today is when we talk about all these payer sources and opportunities, I want you to see them as opportunities. I want you then to define what the threat is to your practice and how we can segment out the opportunity so that you're not leaving money on the table. And one of the things we're going to talk about is kind of infrastructure and business model. And so I'll kind of throw this out right now because we were kind of talking about it was, you know, when Laura emailed me the initial questions, one of the things was, can anyone survive in an insurance business today? Like, you know, and I get where she's coming from. She's coming from California, which is a very challenging market. And I want everyone to understand that reimbursement in majority of payers besides Medicare, throw Medicare out, but like Medicaid's not acceptable. Like it's like $36 in California. So no one can take yeah. Medicaid yeah. unless they're like a hospital. Then you've got, you know, your commercial payers, your blue crosses, your blue shields, your UHCs. Mm -hmm. And we're dealing with anything from like $40 to $84 is probably average reimbursement. So per hour, not per unit per hour, well, right? Depends. No, some are per unit. So like Example, UHC is a $64 flat rate contribution. So technically speaking, you don't have to deliver an hour for that. But then okay. Blue Shield in California is going to be about an $84 for four units. So it does range. But regardless, it's not enough. Point in, in this is that <laughs> we have to define what our business model is. And I say that because if we're a solo practitioner, you're right. Why even bother with insurance? Just go cash pay. Like if you can't find 50 people to pay cash for your product, you don't know how to sell your service. I can find right, 50 right. people to buy anyone's service if I have the right marketing and sales and I find the right yeah. person. I don't, I don't care where I am. I can find it truly in the middle of nowhere. I'll find it. But if <laughs> I have six, eight, 10, 15 therapists, I can't fill that many cash. I'm being honest. It's hard. Like there are people that can, but it's going to take a lot. And what's going to happen. And I, with that business model, I worry. And I'm going to be honest. Here's something I'm going to say that might be controversial. When I build cash pay for private employees, they think that they are the value of the service. So then they think that they can go out on their own and create their own cash pay and that they can take their clients and that I don't do anything they're everything and that I wouldn't have the cash pay if it wasn't for them. And I'm like, no, I'm the one funneling this. I'm the one paying you for all sure. this. So when I'm dealing with a scalable business model, I kind of like to salt and pepper other different alternative funding yeah. sources. I don't want to just do cash pay. And so my bottom line is I don't want you to be afraid of insurance. I'm not saying that I'm recommending that insurance is right for you because there's a lot of variables to look at. And I also want you to think about there's in-network, there's out-of-network, there's assignment of benefits, there's all these choices. So yeah. I want you to think about this. When you're building your private practice, there is a buffet of options and you don't have to get stuck with one mindset. I'm this or that. Maybe I'm a little of this and I'm a little of that and how we define it. And guess what? There's ways to play concierge and insurance all connected under the same roof. And so sometimes this is going to be very controversial. Are you ready for it? Mm -hmm. Very controversial. I don't want any like DMs or emails. <laughs> if you have anger about this or you disagree or you think this is shady, then just don't listen to it. Because honestly, right. I'm not here to be shady. I'm all about compliance, but I'm going to throw a curveball. Yeah. I can have two entities, two tax IDs, two MPIs. I can have 
one side of my practice rent space that does insurance. I can have one side that is cash and out of network. There is a world where I could be serving two different populations under one roof, in network and out of network, if I segment it right and I hit the compliance factor right. Because with two different entities, you mean? Two totally different entities. So I could technically have Wellness Works Concierge and Wellness Works Pediatrics. And Wellness Works Concierge is cash pay, it's a different MPI, different tax ID. And this is how we differentiate ourselves. And we are dealing with the whole patient and not just the medical model. And then I've got the in-network, which is like, we're just looking at like the fine tuning. This is a medical service. This is what it's looking at. And it's going to hit probably 25% of what your needs are just based on the scope of medical necessity. Yeah. Yep. I love that idea. I think we need to start thinking more creatively about business in general as therapists. And I think in this, this episode mostly will relate to people running practices in the U S I mean, that's what we're, that's the context in which we're talking about this, but I do, we, we all know that insurance is not going away anytime soon, no matter where you stand on the universal healthcare, whatever, you know, whatever your views are on that. Right now in 2022, we are living in an age when insurance is a reality, like private healthcare insurance is how most people are insured in this company or Medicaid and Medicare, which are public programs. So I feel like we have to start thinking of creative ways to, like, I called it a hybrid model when I, when I wrote you that question, like, do most people do a hybrid model or, and I'm, I'm loving this conversation because I had shared with you as well, like, just so the listeners hear my process. Like, you know, I moved to Wisconsin last year to be near my husband's family. And I'm realizing and thinking about starting something here, which would be very small to start. I'm not going to hire a bunch of employees or anything like that. But even just going back to the beginning from six years ago, when I started my business and realizing the thinking I have to do to think about how I'm going to be paid, what I'm going to charge. I mean, it's like, I'm going back to the very beginning again, and all of the mindset issues come up like, oh my gosh, will people actually really pay cash here? And, and what I wrote you about in our conversations before the podcast was just thinking about the different environments and contexts and the culture in the area where you are providing the services, because Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin is very different than the Bay area of California. So I had an all cash practice there. I actually am leaning towards doing cash here to start because it's just much simpler and cleaner, but I'm a little more open to thinking about insurance here for some reason. And then I laughed when you said insurance pays more in Wisconsin than California, which makes no sense to me whatsoever. (laughs) But, um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about, and you shared some already, but let's talk a little bit about the decision-making process. Like what do people need to think about? And I think this will help people who are one model or the other, maybe start to integrate other payment systems into their practice or people who are just starting out to decide, like, do I want to stay cash pay? Do I want to go cash pay? Or do I want to try to get on insurance panels? What are, what are the questions we need to be thinking about in different the first climates. question is, where do you want to be in terms of volume of visits in the mm-hmm. next two years? Like, I want you to define it. Like, I want to have between three to five employees or whatever, because yeah. I think we need to start to lay that foundation. I've helped practices 100% cash do a million dollars a year of cash pay services for OT. 100% cash pay. 
and it was on the East Coast, but it's a totally different model. So in that model, it was niche-based. So I say, are we, what is our role? Are we niche? Yeah. Are we a specialty? You know, one of the analogies I actually said to Laura before, and, and I know she wants me to talk about it, is I said, yeah. in middle America, including, I mean, when I say middle America, I'm going to say all of America, it is easier for me to convince someone to spend $50 to board their dog than it is for them to spend $50 as a copay on uh, therapy. And I know that's a bold statement. And so my statement is not what, what it comes down to is people don't understand why they need therapy, what the value is, they yeah. don't see a tangible benefit. It's interesting because if Laura, I know Madison well, many of you know, I lived there literally right before Laura moved there. And I will tell you that if Laura went and said, we're doing therapeutic group in the forest in Madison, she'd have a home run amount of people want to pay for that cash. But if she said, I'm doing sensory integration and I'm doing OT, then the mindset is going to be, well, my insurance should pay for that. I'm just being honest. Like it's a mindset. Interesting. So diagnoses, niche. People also feel that if it's a medical problem, that truly like, that's not my problem. That's why I have insurance. That's the statement where it's like, well, I know I need to board my dog and that doesn't come for free. It's so funny because they value the time of someone to stick their dog in a kennel, but they don't value the time in the same capacity for a medical service. And it's mm. a conundrum, truly. So I think the first thing is we have to define our scale. We have to define, are we having employees? We have to define our business model, meaning are we delivering concierge? Are we delivering a niche? Are we delivering in the home? Are we delivering a, a center based? Are we delivering something that is above and beyond medical needs? Are we transactional? Or are we transformational? And I want to be very clear that the medical model is a transactional model. It doesn't mean that you don't deliver transformational services in that model, but it's transaction. It's this for that. It's fee for service. So that's a hard sell. Now, I want to just kind of pivot for a minute and tell everyone there are incredible insurance payments, depending on where you are. So Laura was surprised by this. In the state of Washington, there are insurances that pay $180 for four units of OT in network. That's incredible. Well, why? Well, first of all, it's because Microsoft's there and all these different employer models. I'm being honest with you. The state of Wisconsin, their commercial payers are greater than California or Florida. So if you said to me, what are the two worst payer States in the country, it's California and Florida. They're big. Mm-hmm. The payers pay less. It's overpopulated. And so insurances can get away with it. So their reimbursement by far is half what I see in Michigan, what I see in Wisconsin, what I see in the state mm-hmm. of Washington, mm-hmm. even what I see in DC. New Jersey is another one, low reimbursement. But here, I'm going to throw a curveball here. Manhattan, New York, and New Jersey, their in-network contracts are terrible. If you're in network with those insurances, you're a turn and burn clinic to survive. That's just what it is. But if I go out of network, I'm getting paid $220 on average for four units out of network. 
in insurance in New Jersey and New York, Manhattan. And so Brandon, where can people, this is all such helpful information. And I feel like it's the information that people need to be able to make informed decisions wherever they are, wherever their, their practice is located. Right. And where can people find this information? Like, is this just doing research in your area or it's, Maybe you're going to so, get a lot of people calling to hire your billing company after this. That was not the agenda, everyone. I promise. But agenda. you know, we're no. trying to and, and provide helpful information. What, what I think you need to know is this: first and foremost, everything's got its pros, its cons, its whatnot. Yeah. So, in order to find out, so insurances make it really hard to find out what their payer pay scale is. Plain and simple. Uh-huh. So a lot of the time, you don't know until you do it. So I always say, start with out of network. And do a couple guinea pigs, and then you can always go in network. But usually, what I say is you need to network with other practices in the state. Doesn't have to be in your backyard. Network with other because usually it's state based. It's pretty on par. So if you're in Wisconsin, go to your local OT chapter. And I want to say something because this actually I put on my notes and I forgot to tell you. This is for you, Laura. I think (laughs) it was yesterday the Wisconsin OT signed the compact. So Wisconsin now is the 10th state in the OT licensure compact, which is going to open up incredible opportunities for telehealth. So what that means is that your licensure in Wisconsin will work in nine other states, which is really exciting. And so March is their big legislative day. And I love it. I really come back to this, like, how are you creating change beyond yourself? What are you doing on a legislative Mm -hmm. way? What are you doing with state licensure? What are you doing with national licensure? These are the things that matter. This is how we can discount, you know, uh, AOTA or Wisconsin OT or this or that. They're not fighting for me. Well, they need you to fight for you. So if you're not going to fight for you, if you're not, if you're just waiting for them to do it without your money and your time, nothing's going to change. And so officially Wisconsin was the 10th state to make this compact licensure work. So now this licensure group is going to grow exponentially And I say that if you're in one of those 10 states, and I don't know all 10 states, but if you're in one of these 10 states, now you can work cross borders without having to go through licensure fees and all these different things. I love this. I love that this is happening. (laughs) Yeah. And that means funding too. So that means there's insurance opportunities and, you know, not to pigeonhole or not to highlight my marketing, but, you know, Real quick, just on a high level, you could write a blog article that could penetrate the entire country. There is a client of ours that we do marketing for in Louisiana, and we're getting clients now in North Carolina that are so impressed by what we're doing that they're asking for telehealth from Louisiana to North Carolina Mm -hmm. because they're like, I love what you guys believe in. And so I come back to your original question of where do we start? What do we have? What are the questions we have to have? We have to define our business model. Are we brain-based OT? Are we a neuro NDT model? Are we, yeah. what is our differentiator? How are we differentiating our services? What is our scale? How much do we need to get paid? How much? Yeah. What, what, what kind of marketplace are we in? Then we go out and we see who's doing what we're doing or who's synergistic. How are they going about it? If you have six neighbors that are taking in-network insurance and they're all accepting that, $45. Well, you're never going to get a higher pay for that negotiating insurance. I always say you can't negotiate a payer if everyone around you is willing to accept that rate. So how are you creating 
how are we as providers unionizing? And I say that, and I know that's going to be yeah. controversial, yeah. but I think we need to look at how we unionize to advocate for our fee schedule. Recently, we went to bat with, I won't say the company because I don't want to talk, uh, the commercial payer, but we went to bat. And you know what they said? We think that you can absolutely deliver value for $64. And it doesn't matter that it's been that reimbursement for 16 years. We show a 7% increase based on inflation every year. And you know what they say? We've got plenty of providers that are willing and happy and honored to be at a rate. And I go, well, then you're not measuring their quality. You're not measuring. So here's the deal. I'm going to spend money to advertise out there that no one signs up for your insurance because you're such, you guys are all about the money. So it's funny. Providers can't advocate for themselves, but these insurances, there's not one insurance out there that's not profitable, but how many providers are not profitable. So it's really, it's sad in today's world that we've gotten to a point where an insurance company is saying that there shouldn't be cost of living increases to to pay a rate. So that's the number one variable that I think needs to change in healthcare today is that we have to take cost of living increases into how we get fundamentally paid. Yeah. How do we, I, I mean, off the top of my head, I'm like, supporting our state organizations, our national, you know, AOTA. Are there other ways that people can advocate for that? Because this is a huge thing for me too. I'm just sitting over here. If people could see the video, I'm like, yes, like (laughs) preach Brandon, because I've felt like that for a long time that, that if we have a a huge group of us as, you know, I'll, I'll say OTs because this podcast is for OTs, but maybe it applies to speech and PT too. But if we have a huge group of us that are willing, you know, we're accepting the $60 an hour or whatever it is, um, which in California, I can't even pay an employee for $60 an hour. Like that's, that's just the reality of pay scale out there. If we have a huge group of us that are accepting that I've always felt this. And, and you're the first person I've ever heard to actually say it out loud that like, if we have a huge group of people accepting it, it actually makes insurance devalue our service. So besides being involved in our state and national organizations, are there other things that we can do as providers, or is that the main way to kind of advocate with the insurance companies where I see OT has dropped the ball. No offense, OT. Sure. Yeah, no. Um, I mean, we can, we can admit when we do things wrong. (laughs) They have not created a private practice section that is sustainable. And I say this because PT has done this really well. PT's got sections, pediatric section, private practice section. Well, that private practice section, now OTs are going to the conference because there's so much value in that private practice section. Yeah. I, I think I had 15 practices I worked with who were OT owned that went to this last pri- APTA private practice section conference in Texas. Yep. And I think that in full transparency, every state should have a private practice section for that state that meets mm-hmm. monthly via teleconference or whatever. And I say this because there's a lot of like, I look at, I won't name names because I don't want to promote, but there are groups sure. out there that put on conferences for private practice. And it's amazing how many people go to the conferences, even if they don't like the group that's putting on the conference. And I say, well, why do you go if you don't like it? And they're like, because I just need to meet with other private practice owners. And Hmm. so I think there is this huge opportunity right now for truly AOTA to empower state chapters to create value in their state chapters by creating private practice section. Because a lot of 
I would say the majority of people will subscribe or will pay dues for AOTA before even their state chapter. And I think for state chapters to add value, they need to create sections and they need yeah. to create kind of unity. The other thing is sometimes it's a matter of you reaching out to your local people and forming your coalition. So like hmm. there's an incredible therapist in Nebraska that she created her own coalition of private practice owners, and they fought Medicaid to get raises. Huge. Uh, wow, that's great. A couple practices I work with in Massachusetts, speech language pathologists that formed a coalition because Blue Cross was cutting the reimbursements in 2022. The coalition came together to say, we represent 36 practices in this Boston region, and we are pulling out within 60 days if you don't change this. And sure enough, they turned it. Yeah. Numbers is everything. Your money means nothing. I'm being honest. Your money does not do the results. It's numbers. It's people coming together. Our dues is what facilitates administrative support of that association, but it does not advocate or legislate. And I don't believe just fundraising money for a PAC fund is enough because they're trying to fight for licensure compact. They're trying. So I get back to We need to get into private practice as its own section, its own group. We need to advocate. And so I invite people to really reach out to 10 practices in their state to say, we, let's form a coalition. And obviously, I think that you probably divide it between pediatrics and adults because it's a little bit different. You know, one of sure. the things that's really challenging is right now, the medical model only looks at things through a rehabilitation benefit which is extremely limiting. And if we don't educate families on what that means and what that is, in my opinion, it's almost like teaching handwriting without giving a kid a pencil. That's where we're dealing with right now. And so we need to get to also understanding what the medical models lenses of occupational, physical, and speech therapy, because the second we throw things in, they want to push it over to the schools or that it's not our responsibility because medical and function, they still don't coexist in the mind of insurance. Just because I say functionally this person needs it does not mean that they think it medically they need it. Yeah, I think this is the problem that I have in my mind with a lot of the way I, I've never termed it that way as a rehab benefit, but I think that is the problem I've had for so long in thinking about the way insurance reimburses for OT is very limiting as far as what our scope of practice is, is so holistic, but there are many things that are not under insurance going to be reimbursed at a level that actually is a living wage. At least, and again, I'm talking in my limited kind of what I've researched in California like that, but so- I, but I, I want to throw a talk- curveball out real quick okay? because something I didn't cover that I think is important for you to know. In Northern California, because I know that's where you came from, I work with four or five practices. Of that area, all of them are doing out of network. They're getting paid by insurance and they're billing on average 180 to 220 for four units of therapy and the insurance mm-hmm. is paying for it. And the insurance, so how, why, where, what, first and foremost, they're also getting what's called gap exceptions. Gap exceptions means that no one else is providing this care, this level of care, or this type of care within a 50 mile geographic area. So we will honor that provider's rates that they set forth through in-network coverage. And that's happening frequently. I will warn you, gap exceptions are a pain in the, you know what, but if you can support clients and get it and do it, great. What is the key to that? It's literally on this pediatric sector. It's 
writing as if you're a neurologist. We have to stop focusing on this giant scope and put things into terms that relate to who's paying for it. We sometimes mm. write our clinical documentation and our approach based on what we're trained as an OT, but not based on the payer source. We need to look at our documentation actually is for the payer source. When it's private pay, it's for the families. When yeah. it's insurance, it's for them. Stop focusing on, well, this is the what AOTA and the MBCOT and all this stuff. That doesn't matter if the insurance doesn't look at it that way. So until the insurance says, we utilize the MBCOT guidelines and the, right. you know, whatever, they don't. <laughs> so let's just get right. to it. So the OTs that are getting paid first and foremost, they write from a neurological mindset. They write about the way that the brain and the central nervous system is processing. They write rather than saying, well, the child can't sit still in school, so he needs therapy. They're going to say, fail, no, not interested. Right. We have to work harder at transforming the way we write our notes and the way we chart. And I do audits all the time. And I will tell you, I'm not an OT, but these OTs don't know how to chart. I'm just being honest. They don't. Because first of all, they just repeat the same thing. The second thing is right. they dictate in detail what they do, not why they do it. The insurance actually mm. doesn't care what you do. They care why you're doing it. They don't want 36 activities and exercises. So then I survey two therapists. I come in, I audit, and I say, why did you write this? And they're like, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. No, let's get to the root cause. Why are you writing this? You know why they write it? Because they're afraid they're going to forget what they did with the kid. That's why. Sure. So Th not that's often how we document. Payer. It's like they're what I did so, so I don't forget. Okay. So what ends up happening is, and I'm going to throw a loose ball cannon here, but 90% of the documentation I see, it's not for who's reading it on the other side. It's so that the therapist can make sense or the team of therapists can make sense. And that's where I say, we got to divide what's functional documentation and what's clinical documentation. They're two different things. Yeah. Functional documentation is internal. Clinical documentation is external. So this is a very interesting topic that I did not know would come up, but it correlates with what we're doing in my practice. So this very interesting thing happened where this year we transitioned to a different EMR. So I'm using Therabyte now. I love them. I've loved Mike and Ashley are just incredible people. And they're working with me to develop a group registration system so that people can register for groups. And then we can kind of sort kids into the appropriate group. And I'm so excited because the software is going to help decrease a lot of admin time that we are spending to form groups. And I think it's actually really going to help a lot of practices to be able to effectively form groups because it, it just requires a lot of admin and, and manual time to review everything and make sure kids are balanced correctly and things like that. So anyway, when we transitioned to Therabyte, we had to rethink our system for doing progress notes. And the system that I came up with on the back end of the business in order to hopefully make things easier for the therapist when it was time to do progress reports. So we, if you're listening for the first time, I practice, they generally are school year long enrollments. So kids enroll in the after school OT group for the school year. So we do a progress note in December and a progress note at the end of May, early June. And what the system I came up with was basically within the Therabyte platform, the best way to send a progress note to families was to be able to send them a record of all your notes. And I was like, you guys, we really should be writing our notes anyway for families because families are the ones paying us for this service. So 
I didn't know that we should be writing notes to payers, but this is what we're doing in my practice. (laughs) And the report from a few people was that, well, and from one other person, they said that it saved them time, but from others said that it was really hard to do because when you are writing a note, a lot of times as a therapist, it's exactly what you said. I think we are writing notes to like remind ourselves what we did so that next time we can kind of pick up where we left off rather than actually writing to inform the family or the payer in an insurance-based model in a, in a different method of writing or doing a note. And so it's interesting you said that because that is essentially what we're doing. And it was a total mental shift for the therapist in my practice to write notes, knowing that we are writing them to share with families. We're not writing them for our own kind of, they are for our own, you know, clinical reasoning process too, but it's challenging to write a note when you know it's going to be read by someone else. So I put therapists through a test and on a daily note, because people are like, I need, I'm like, I'm going to flip and I won't scan to it, but I have little timers with sand. Sure. Yeah. I have a five minute timer and I say, I'm going to give you five minutes for brain dump and this brain dump you get to keep and reference and whatever you can do voice to text or you can type it up, whatever you want. I flip it. I let them write. Then I say, I'm going to give you another five minutes. You need to write everything that is essential that the insurance needs to know related to the medical necessity in correlation to the evaluation you completed for this session. Ready? Go. And then I have them actually review both sides of it to say, now do you understand why when you put it all together, you're not able to be efficient or effective? So what you need to tell yourself as a practitioner is different than what you need to tell the insurance. And when you put it all together, you're giving them more ammunition to deny the claim. Less because OTs will write things above and beyond and they may get stuck on things that make it seem like it's not a medical necessity, but it's an educational goal. And that's why I say is when you're writing for insurance, less is more. Get crystal clear, concise, straight to the point. Yeah. This is the goal. These are the objectives we focused on. This is why it's meaningful to the medical needs of this child. Yeah. And in the the parent model, it may be similar, but different. And that you have to use, I think the challenge with writing for families to, to see your notes is that you, you can't use your abbreviations like I and max a and things that you might write in your notes, you know, from a therapist perspective, you would know that means max assist or two VCs means two verbal cues or whatever, but, um, you have to write with more parent-friendly language to explain what their child did in the group and why they benefited. And when we're writing to a parent, it starts with what's meaningful to that parent of why they're bringing that child. Yes. And then it's, Hey, these are the goals we agreed upon. And this is where we're at in that process. I want it to seem like almost like every time they get a note, it's like they see how many jumps they made on the Candyland game board. I think that if they already know the game board, then you don't have to justify anything. Just show, Hey, we made yeah. 1.5 steps in progress this time. Again, we, we sometimes overthink how we communicate. And I think we just got to get to the root cause of why someone's getting your care, what's needed, mm-hmm. and how they fundamentally believe what you're delivering is in financial exchange. And I think that's critical. So insurance just wants to know yeah. that they're, they're checking a compliance box of medical need. A parent wants to know that their goals that they brought their child in 
are making progress. Yeah. You trying to, to overcomplicate with your jargon actually cheapens things because they feel like you make them feel stupid. I'm just being honest. And that's yeah. why when we get a report from a doctor, it's not what the report says. It's how the doctor explains the report that is valuable. Right, right. <laughs> Can we talk a little bit about along these lines, communicating to clients the the difference between a rehab slash medically necessary model versus a, I mean, in our practice act is called habilitative, which I always have to look up what that means. Cause it doesn't define <laughs> like, like, an I, I think about it with kids, like an enrichment or a developmental kind of model to help them make progress or sometimes catch up with their development. What's the, is there language around it? Is there policies that you would suggest publishing to talk to people about it? I mean, I think it starts with a value statement and education. Hmm. So this is going to be a weird analogy. And I just came with it on the spot. So if it doesn't make sense, it's okay. When it comes to insurance and it's a medical model, the only thing that the insurance is looking at is you sharpening the pencil. That's it. It doesn't care if the pencil is bent. It doesn't care if the pencil has streaks of white on the yellow. It does not care any element of how that pencil even functions, it just wants you to sharpen the tip. And Mm -hmm. parents, patients, whatever, need to understand that it's assuming that the pencil had a broken tip and that's why you're getting care. And so you need to look at it in the sense that it's not looking at anything more than, I, I say in this sense, it's like a broken arm and restoring the function to the way it was. It's restoring the function to the way it was, not to the way it needs to be. And I think that's really critical. Yeah. And so when we look at therapy, I always say, mom, are you just looking to, you know, and I pick on pediatrics because I do a lot with pediatrics. I do support hand therapy and all these other areas as well. But with pediatrics, I actually think it's a harder sell. And that's why I'm picking on pediatrics because adults, it's like, okay, I broke my arm. I need some therapy. I have knee pain. I need to feel out of pain. It's really easy to sell adults, but with pediatrics, you don't see it in the same. So I think the first thing is you have to understand what's explained to them, what's going on with their child. And so I talk about it in layman's terms, but I put it into meaningful language. So one of the biggest things that OTs work on um, is regulation, regulation of emotion, Mm -hmm. regulation of So I start with, we've got this brain that we don't understand, right, mom? Yes. And our brain is sending signals. Well, what's happening to your child? And again, this is just an example. I'm like, if I were to drive your car right now and it was a manual stick. And what if every time I grinded the clutch, at what point would that annoy you? Because you can't go without grinding the clutch and hearing that noise and whatnot. And they're like, I'm like, have you ever, and these days, a lot of the parents don't have never driven a stick, so they don't understand it. So I'll say, I want you to YouTube manual transmission, clutch grinding. So you can hear what that sounds like. That's what's going on with your child. But here's the deal. The insurance doesn't understand that that's a medical necessity. The insurance only sees things as rehabilitating a stroke rehabilitating a congenital anomaly, rehabilitating all these things. So we're going to do our best to try and put as many things under the hood as we can. 
But the reality is sometimes we need above and beyond what is medically necessary. So we're going to do two buckets. One bucket is what Brandon medically needs. And one bucket is what Brandon functionally needs. Function gets to the root cause. Medical just is focused on the rehabilitation. It's putting a Band-Aid on it. And they're like, you know what? Every year you can go put a new Band-Aid on it. You've got, you know, a bandage a month is what they get. But to me, if every time the kid is falling and busting his leg open every other day, don't you think there's something bigger going on that the Band-Aid's not solving? And so Mm -hmm. we need to explain the value. But then here's the other thing I say, and this is another controversial statement. (laughs) This is my sales pitch for cash pay clinics. Are you ready? Hey, mom, insurance is kind of like public school education. It works for some and can get many kids across the finish line, but not every kid can thrive in a public school system. And sometimes you can augment it with tutoring. And sometimes you can augment it with classroom attendance or change. And sometimes that school environment is not a right fit and you need to put them in private school. The same is true with therapy. There's publicly funded and it's only can cover so much. And sometimes you need augmented tutoring. Sometimes you need to go the whole private route, but understanding the needs of your child is part of that algorithm. And it's an algorithm to get them so that not just today, but we get to the root cause so that we're solving tomorrow. And I think that parents need to understand that. And I think sometimes we need to translate into real life pictures. So What's the worst time you've ever had with your child in the last six months? Well, he was headbutting against the wall. Well, imagine if you were going somewhere and they got the headbutting reduced, but imagine if every six months after discharge, it came back. Wouldn't you like to just get to the root cause so that we don't have to every six months do this again? Well, that's what we're here for. We need to learn how to communicate our value in a more effective way. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I th- that's really helpful. I love the public versus private school model, like or, the, or like metaphor, I guess, because that's yeah. a very that's a very good example. Yeah, that's great. I love it. I do think it is really hard. There's cycles back to to something you said at the very beginning of our conversation, where people will pay fifty dollars to board their dog for a day, but it's hard to pay fifty dollars for therapy because you have insurance and you should use your insurance or whatever. You know, I think sometimes and I know I do this myself, there's an uncertainty about the outcome of therapy. Like, will it really help? And I think with boarding your dog, it's like, you know, they're giving you a space for your dog to be for that day. You know, there's, you know, that your dog is going to be safe, be alive, play with other dogs, come home with therapy. There's again, it's about communicating that value, right? Like we as therapists have to be able to communicate the value to our clients in order to kind of get them over that uncertainty of, can it really help? Will it really help my child or my, you know, me, I guess, if you're an adult seeking therapy, I, I, I'm in pediatric brain too. when I think about practices because that's just my experience, but. But a sales cycle, and I know everyone's like, Brandon, why do you keep saying sa-? everything's about sales, everything, yep. the whole world. Sales cycle is about understanding the mindset of the other person, identifying if you're a fit, And if they are capable of changing their mindset to adapt to what is needed for their child or them or whatnot. And I think mindset is everything. It's interesting because no one expects insurance or the school to pay for tutoring. No one expects for anyone but themselves to pay for baseball lessons or baseball tutoring or swim lessons or Mm -hmm. all these things. We've 
turned into ourselves. So most practitioners are social workers, not advocates. And I think there's a difference between social worker and advocacy. Advocacy is confront. Social worker is support. We need Hmm. to advocate in order to change the mindset of someone for the greatest good of them or their child. Yeah. And that's about communication, right? Being confident of your own value, being confident you have the solution to the problem and not being uncomfortable talking about money. I think sometimes therapists just feel very uncomfortable getting paid for their service when we pay for things all the time. We don't expect our groceries for free. You know, (laughs) it's okay to let people pay you. That's That's what we need to be telling ourselves, right? So when I do this with families, I use, I make it fun. You're like, how do you make money fun? And I, I make it funny. So I say, Hey, Laura, I'm about to put on my tough love hat. Are you ready for it? (laughs) Okay. Are you sure? Before I put it on, I want to make sure you're ready. Yes, I'm ready. Okay. I got it on Laura. What's going on right now in your family needs to change. There's a dynamic that really is not working. My intention is pure. I want the best for you, but I'm going to tell it to you how it is. And this is yeah. how it is. Or I'm going to put on the finance hat right now, but I preface it so that people are ready for it. And I get agreement so that they separate the therapist from the business communication. That's I love that. Therapists can't do it. They can't do it because they don't know how to take off the therapist hat. You need to wear different hats in today's market. When I fight with insurance, My fighting is not physical fighting. My fighting is let's advocate. What do you want? Well, you have two objectives. One is you need to spend as little as possible because you need to balance your books. The second is you want to sustain impact growth and you want continued subscribers. Am I wrong? So this is how I'm going to help you get that done. We need to understand the mindset of who we speak so that we can create agreement while not threatening them. How do we confront yeah. without putting someone in a fight or flight response system? And that's everything in private practice. Yeah. And what you said about, I love what I jotted down, put on the blank cat, you know, like just thinking about, because when, when people do start out in business, you are doing those roles yourself. And I, I distinctly remember when practice manager, Nicole started to take over some of the financial conversations or the customer service conversations that I was doing myself when I was providing the service and doing those things. And it was a huge relief to me because it really separates the financial piece from me as a provider. And I see that as my role and Nicole's role in the business is to kind of shield our employees from having to have those uncomfortable conversations about money, because the reality is employees don't want to have those conversations, nor should they be expected to. Right. So that's part of what I see as like the benefit of being an employee is you don't have to deal with these conversations, but, but I wanted to circle back to what you said about, I'm going to put on my tough love hat here or whatever, because I think sometimes it, you know, I remember years ago when I, or earlier in my career, I, I was scared to say something negative, quote unquote, to clients. Right. And the reality is that people are hiring you for a reason. People value your expertise when you're willing to say to them exactly the type of things you just said, where, you know, this isn't, it's, it's clear from the things you've told me that there's things that we need to work on to help your family thrive and be happy again, because there's some hard things going on right now. Right. So it's honoring 
why they have sought out therapy rather than, and I'm all about strengths-based. I think we should be strengths-based, but the reality is that people come to therapy for a purpose and a reason they're seeking help. And so I think putting on that tough love hat, like you said, and being able to own that there are things that need to be worked on actually sets you up as an expert in the family's mind. It, it shows them that you have something of value to offer them by naming the problem and, and helping them find a solution. I also set the expectation from the onset. Mm -hmm. I literally from the onset at eval time say, if you choose to move forward with therapy with us, I want you to know, we're going to have some tough conversations. Yeah. I, my intention is to do right by you. If I can't call you out, then I'm not helping you. And if you can't call me out, then you can't do right. right by me. We both need to be able to confront because you going around and basically just dropping off the, the face of this earth and then writing a bad review that I was tough love or this or that. That, that doesn't help your child, you, me, whatnot. Let's both agree right now that we will try our best because both your intentions to make this work, right, mom? Mm -hmm. Yep. My intentions to make this work. If you ever feel that my intention is counterproductive to that, you let me know. Call yep. me out. You have my privilege to say, we're not happy. We're not seeing value. We're questioning if you're a right fit. I can put on my, my big boy, big girl pants. I will be okay. Right, right. I'm not going to hurt my feelings. Right. What hurts my feelings is when someone doesn't feel confident or comfortable that they can confront me. So you can, I'm going to give you your own tough love hat. So here's yep. your tough love hat. You put yeah, that yeah, on yeah. me and say, Brandon, I'm going to give you the tough love hat. Great. Mm -hmm. These are things that we need all of our team members to have. Even our front reception. Hey mom, tough love hat on. We never got your copay. What's going on? Where are you at? Yeah. We need it now you know, et cetera. We have to be able to confront this. And if you don't mind, I want to pivot real quick. So we don't forget this. I want to talk about different funding sources yeah. and models. Yeah. I wanted so, to ask, I was just going to ask you, is there, we're wrapping up soon, but is there anything we forgot to cover? I was looking at our list here. So go on. Yeah. There's two things that I have in my mind. One is funding models. So obviously there's insurance, there's commercial insurance, there's government insurance. So we've got Medicare, Medicaid, TRICARE. Then we've got all our blues. We've got both PPO. We've got HMO or managed care. There's all those different funding sources. So that's our insurance model. Within our insurance model, we've got in-network, we've got out-of-network, we've got gap exception. Those are the three things. We'll talk about that. Within out-of-network, we've got assignment of benefits. We've got, we don't accept assignment of benefits. What does that mean? That means that when you accept assignment of benefits, you're waiting for the insurance to pay you. The second you accept money from insurance, they have the right to audit you, pull money from you, all those different things. So there is a world where you go out of network and you don't take assignment of benefits, but you submit to the insurance on the, the client's behalf. So Real quick on an insurance side, there's out of network. I give them a super bill and maybe one out of a hundred will actually submit it. I'm being honest. There's mm -hmm. out of network. I don't accept assignment of benefits so that the family's going to get paid or the patient's going to get paid, but I will submit on their behalf out of network. I accept assignment of benefits in which I get paid by the insurance. Here's the deal. When you go out of network and you're accepting assignment of benefits, I want you basically to think of it like you're in network to a certain extent, except there you're making your own fee schedule. 
within insurance, then I'll go to all the different funding models. I want you to think of there's charges and then there's allowable. Charges is not what you get paid. That's a blanketed fee schedule that you submit to everyone. And you write off the difference between the allowable, which is what you're supposed to get paid, and that charge. When I say write off, that doesn't mean that you get tax credit for it. It's not a true write-off. It is youth putting it in the trash bucket because it is the difference between what you're supposed to get paid and your fee schedule for charges. The other thing I'll say on this is why do we create charges that are all different? Well, they want you to have one payment fee schedule. So I'm going to charge $180 to everyone. I want to keep that uniform. You may have a prompt pay allowable. I just want to be clear. So you would still do a charge of 180 and then the difference, and then you show what they got paid and that write-off mm-hmm. is there. But each insurance pays different. And the reason why we have to have high enough charge is because there are insurances that pay a percentage of it. So imagine if an insurance says, we'll pay 60% of your charges. Well, you can't have your charges so low that you're getting critically not paid. Other things that I think are important just on insurance before we get to the next funding sources models is you, um, there's so much on insurance. We could talk for days on this, but you have to understand that the second you accept payment from insurance, you are on the hook with insurance. Don't think, well, I'm out of network, Brandon. Nope, there's compliance there. There is a science to the insurance game. This is not just like submit and pray. There is a science. There is a coding science. There is a compliance science. And just because you get paid doesn't mean you're compliant. I audit all the time and we will find so many different coding errors where people are false billing and they're out of compliance. One of them recently that we audited, we found over $600,000 of wrong charges. Oh my gosh. This provider was very angry at us because they're like, well, you just opened Pandora's box. Well, you wanted to know what you were doing right and wrong and you're in breach of the codes. And I'm not saying this to scare you, but there are critically a handful of codes. And when people start digging deep to codes that are in the book, but not part of the regular algorithm of procedure codes, Mm -hmm. there's a reason why they're not part of the regular algorithm. So like cog codes and stuff like that. Well, I get paid for the cog codes. Well, when we did the audit and we looked at it, your commercial, that evidence of coverage does not allow those codes. So insurance paid you wrong. And when they catch it, they're going to pull all that money from you. Yeah, so you just that's scary. Sure you really understand that this is not just a coding, like there's policies and procedures. And at the end of the day, that's where you have to sign up for the insurance game. It is a Rubik's Cube game. So I'm not trying to scare you off of insurance, but I don't want you to think like, well, Brandon, I, I submitted the codes that paid. It should be fine. I hope so. But if in three years they come back and they audit or the insurance commissioner audits, just know that it is possible that you'd have to pay back that money. And could you then go after the client depending on the insurance contract? Yes. Okay. Enough for insurance today. You got a little taste. All Um, right. you, You can win at it. What I say is don't jump into insurance with 10,000 claims. Start small and work big. Start and pilot things. Don't wait 180 days to figure out that something's not getting paid. My number one pet peeve with third-party billing companies is they say, 
yeah, we haven't gotten paid. We've got $20,000 in the 120-day bucket, but you're going to get paid. You're going to get paid. Don't worry, Laura. You're going to get paid. We know this. And they wait, and they wait, and they wait. And then 300 days, you say to them, well, what's going on with this? You know, yeah, it doesn't look like it's going to get paid. We've, we've tried. We fought. Um, you're going to have to eat it, or you have to go have that tough love conversation with your client. That's baloney. My yeah. belief is yeah. if you can't solve a problem in 120 days, you're not working hard enough. Any, if you have claims in your 120 day bucket, that is a problem. That is not mm-hmm. a work in progress. That is a problem. If someone tells you it is a work in progress, they're lying to you straight up. There is a root cause that is creating that not to get paid and you have to get to the bottom of it and you cannot wait more than 120 days to get a nip it in the butt. And so yeah. I would fire a biller who told me, Brandon, we're still working on it. We're still working. Right. On it. Well, you're not working right. hard enough. Okay. On to the other payment models, cash, private pay. The other thing is some states have these incredible scholarships for homeschool kids. So in Florida, there's a scholarship that gives mm. every homeschool family $10,000 that they get to spend annually on services like OT and PT and speech therapy. You get paid your fee schedule. They don't pay. 100% comes out of that scholarship. There are states out there. Do your research. Look and find Mm. out. Are there homeschool scholarships? What does it take to participate? Mm. How do you do that? Early intervention, government funded. Sometimes it's a Medicaid-based program. Sometimes it's not. California, it is what's called DDS, Department of Developmental Services, have different regional centers. And then there's early start funding and you get paid for that. Now, here's the deal. Laura says, hey, Brandon, reimbursement's low. (laughs) Yeah, reimbursement's low. I've got 60 plus therapists doing it in California. W-2 employees making great money, making 70 to $100,000 working for me. How do I do it? My margins are low. My business model in California is low admin, heavy therapist. Therapists are taking 70% of the revenue and they're incentivized to produce in a billable model Mm -hmm. with the admin rate. That's how I make it work. And I also am looking for therapists that want to work 100 to 150 visits a month. That's my wheelhouse. I'm not looking for the onesie twosie. So what I'm trying to do is have, because if you have 50 therapists deliver what 10 therapists can do, then you have heavy admin. So each therapist has yeah. to bring a certain weight of delivery in order for you to streamline efficiency. Again, how do we work with lower reimbursing funding sources? Well, we got to have more volume. It's a volume-based business mm-hmm. in that sense. School funding, whether it be school contract. There are some people mm-hmm. that subcontract to other vendors. There are some that contract direct to the school. There's some that direct, uh, directly contract to the state. All of these things are very valuable in that sense. There is FSA money, flexible spending account money you can take. There is HSA, health savings account money that you can take. Mm-hmm. There is programs like Care Credit, where they can basically get a zero interest credit card to pay and have a monthly payment where you get paid in full for your cash pay services. So there are mm-hmm. many different ways to optimize how you get paid. There are companies that will actually do self-insured and pay as part of their benefit package for your services. Apple is one that does that. They bring in and subcontract out therapy services for their employees and their employees' families. 
So mm. there's so many ways to slice this pizza, so to speak. But yeah. You have to get creative and you have to stop focusing on, I just want, like, show me the way. You got to research, you got to put in the time, et cetera. So I'm going to tell you one thing. If you're a private practice owner that just says, I want to work 10 to 20 hours a, a week and I want to get hundreds of thousands of dollars, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. And you right. may have done it and proved me wrong. Great. That is the minority. It takes a lot of work. So if you're coming into this thing, I want to do as little as possible and make as much as possible. There are easier business models to do that. Yeah. Up. <laughs> I think Don't you mentioned that on our last episode too, yeah. that we did together. So <laughs> effort is part of how we achieve purpose. Mm-hmm. So, so I worked with a private practice that she ultimately decided she wanted to be with her kids. Her kids were young. She sold her practice because ultimately what it took was her to realize either she had to give up a lot of her net profit for someone to run the company mm-hmm. or she had to be in the business. But there is a trade-off. You can't just turn a, open a door and all the money comes in. Doesn't right. work that way. So there is work involved, even with good systems and a good team. And I joke all the time. I'm like, passive income, there is no such thing. Even online income is not passive at all. Like it's <laughs> you have to do the work. And I think part of the the fun of entrepreneurship is continually solving the problems that come up as you grow and scale your business to have different revenue sources and to manage your team and to create the systems around different payer sources. So if you look at it like solving problems, I think that helps you stay curious and a little bit excited by the process rather than seeing it as like a huge burden to manage your business, you know? So I like that idea of keeping curiosity to solve problems as we grow as entrepreneurs. And I believe that truly, if you ask me, Mm -hmm. life is a game. It is a game and we can win at it and we can lose at it and we can get frustrated. And one day it feels like we're playing pinball and another day it feels like we're playing ping pong and another day it feels like a Rubik's cube. But if we don't have the mindset of this is a game, then nothing is worth the effort. We have to recognize that games are meant to be won and lost. We've stopped mm. focusing. We've started thinking that we have to be the Tom Brady, the goat of everything. No, we don't. Just play the game. Cherish what you can yeah. do with it. Cherish the progress you're making. Laura, every time I see what you're doing, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're amazing. And sometimes you need outside perspective to see you're winning this game. You're crushing it. <laughs> so many of you don't even recognize. And, yeah. and I say it, the game results are not your bottom line. They're not. Everyone yeah. thinks that it's yeah. how much money is left in the, in, in the bank account. There are plenty of people that are making money that are losing the game because it's literally killing their purpose, their joy, their yeah. this, their that. So I do what I do because I love it. Everyone's like, wow, you got a lot going on. That's what gets me up in the morning. Yeah, That's what fuels yeah. me. So find what fuels you and get outside the box to understand there are solutions. There are funding. You can make cash pay work. You can make insurance work. You can make a (laughs) hybrid work. You just have to embrace the barriers that are in your way to achieve it. And if you want just the easiest route, none of this is easy. Cash is not easy. (laughs) 
insurance is not right. easy. Right. And it's funny because people are like, well, I'm getting $300 an hour, Brandon. I'm like, well, you're not really getting 300 an hour because look at all the time it took you to get that $300 and the expectations of the family and the expectations of everyone mm -hmm. around you and all of the stuff that it takes to get that done. So recognize that more money does not mean more fulfillment. Find out what's your why. I'm not yeah. creating all of this because I, honestly, I'm creating it because I love to solve problems in different ways outside of the box. And honestly speaking, I want to do it in an ethical, integral way. And I'm tired of seeing garbage. Garbage is out there and I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. So I want to just show an inkling of improvement so that people understand that not everything is garbage in this world. Yeah. And getting in touch with your why is so important and staying really focused on that. I think it helps in the lower, in the lower moments when you're struggling <laughs> to run the business, it really does help to have in mind the person that you are serving, the problem that you're solving and to like focus on service and helping people when you feel your own imposter syndrome crop up, or when you feel like you're stressed with the business, it helps to have that that meaning and purpose. I love, I love that. That's I have always admired that about you, Brandon, and felt like there's, you know, there's some people you just like, you resonate with how they approach business. And you've always been one of those people for me since I think I met you at AOTA years ago. I can't remember. Were we in New Orleans when I met you? We were I think in that's, New Orleans and yeah. we were at an entrepreneurial student thing. And we were talking about entrepreneurship and students and you were commenting and I was commenting. It was a lot of fun. We were actually at one of those like post, like those group sessions where everyone collaborated yeah, yeah. and yeah. it was a lot of fun. I remember. Well, I like, think I yesterday. went to your presentation there too. Cause you're, you're present. Okay. You did a presentation there, which was great. So thank you. This was great. Anything to wrap up. I feel like that's a good topic to end on of like knowing your why and staying connected to that. So I'll wrap up with one thing. And the one thing I want to wrap up with is that in leadership, part of our goal is unlocking positive mindset. And we mm. only can do that by acknowledging what's going right. What did I do right? So right now, like I'm being honest, COVID has hit companies of mine. It has. Yeah. I can't just come at them. I need to say, let's name two things that are going right. And one thing we are working towards progress. Progress is essential to fill our bucket. The second we stop progressing, we lose hope, we lose progress, we lose mm. everything. So I just say that, like, don't get stuck on what's not working. You need to focus on what's going right and the things that are making progress. Sometimes it's not about the finish line, it's about fulfilling progress. And so sometimes we get so stuck on like, oh my gosh, the pandemic and the this and the that, all these things, and yeah. everyone's leaving and everyone's quitting. Well, don't focus on the five employees that just left. Focus on the one employee that's still by your side, that's your ride or die. Focus on all of the people on your waiting list that want your services. Focus on the fact that you're going to recruit and find better talent today than mm. ever before. Focus on the fact that you're unlocking greater potential in every patient that you work with and that insurance is covering the services and that you are getting paid and that you do have a business. So right. we need to unlock positivity in order to motivate progress. That's exactly in line with how I end every podcast with my small steps, make great gains over time. So 
<laughs> Thank you, Brandon. This was so great and so helpful to me and I'm sure many other people who will listen. I appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you. Check me out at www.wellnessworksmanagementpartners.com. I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. Reach out, set up a free strategy session if you want. I care. I'm in it for the right reason. And my intention is to co-create with you all. Yeah, I can attest to that, Brandon. That is why I appreciate you. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Laura. All right, everyone. We ended with it. And I'm going to say it again because it's so true. It's perfect for the very end of this podcast, exactly what Brandon was talking about at the end, where he said to stay focused on your why and enjoy the journey, essentially, was what he ended with. And so I'm going to wrap this up by saying the same thing I say every podcast, which is small steps make great gains over time. So until next time, mind your OT business.